Thank you for listening to the Take It With You episode 29 podcast entitled Behind the Scenes. Uh, this was recorded on August 22nd, 2017 in the Underground Theater. We need to thank, uh, we have a lot of season sponsors, but our grade A awesome season sponsor for season four was Bent Paddle Brewing Company. And not only do they make delicious beer, but they allow our show to happen. So thank you to them and please Go check out their beer. Uh, and also, by the way, there might be some language in this episode that might not be suitable for young people. Kind of up to you. But uh, either way, I think you should probably listen with a friend. Former mayor of Duluth, Minnesota, Don Ness. Well, they just came into my office one day. Who is they in the scenario? Blake and Lorenzo. And what was the content of that meeting? Well, they said they wanted to do a live radio show. And how did that strike you? Strike me? I thought it was the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> sure. But after I left, I googled Lorenzo Pancetta, and all this mafia stuff popped up. And I thought, fine. <laughs> I don't want to risk my life over some idiotic art piece. It's just not worth it. So I started doing Take It With You. It was the weirdest thing. Current Duluth Mayor, Emily Larson. So the day after I'm elected, I get a call from Don, and he says to me, look, as mayor, there's this weird thing you have to do from time to time. It's best you don't know all the details, but you have to be a part of this radio show. And I said, radio show? On what station? And he said, it's on KUMD, but it's primarily a podcast. And I said, well, then why didn't you just say it was a podcast first? <laughs> and he said, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it took a while to explain. Take it with you? I mean, where to start? Their format is complicated. Their concept is archaic. In fact, their whole story, it's, it's really convoluted. Any rational human being would have bet every penny that they had that this thing would fail. But somehow they did it. They became international superstars. <laughs> by creating a, well, I want to be tactful here, but let's be honest, a pretty stupid podcast. <laughs> As a community, we go back and forth, whether to be proud or embarrassed. Mm, mm. And where do you lean on that scale? Today? Mm, proudly embarrassed. <laughs> From humble beginnings to total global domination, these radio raconteurs comb the deserts, plowed the fields, and tastefully trim the bushes of artistic audio expression. In doing so, they changed the entire landscape of art as we know it. But it didn't come without a price. Tonight, we draw back the curtain to expose the dark side of the most successful live radio podcast in the history of the universe. I'm Levin Chambers, and this is Take It With You, Behind the Mic. Blake Thomas comes from a long line of entertainers, writers, and clowns. If you want to go all the way back, it really started with Blake's great-great-grandfather, Clarence Waldorf McAllister. This is a female historian. 
The latter half of the 19th century, Clarence ran a successful mean traveling horse circus called McAllister's Mystical Menagerie and Hateful Horse Hippodrome. <laughs> Just to clarify, how exactly does the mean traveling horse circus differ from a regular circus? It doesn't much really. By all accounts, it was still more or less a regular circus, except it involved these mean horses that would sometimes bite people in the crowd. And this was preferable to a regular circus? Well, you have to look at it in historical context. I mean, mean horses were just part of the circus back then. It wasn't until 1881 when things would really change in the world of circusing. Two actors playing P.T. Barnum and James Anthony Bailey. Barnum, don't you think if we removed those mean horses from the circus, we might bring in more business? Well, it'll show sure ruffle some feathers at the old boy's circus club, but I think it's just crazy enough to work. Let's be partners. High five. The circus world was rapidly changing, but Clarence was unwilling to change along with it. By the beginning of the 20th century, he was in enormous amounts of debt, mostly to opium dens. Here's an unnecessary and graphic reenactment of his death. You have the money you owe me, Clarence. I just need a little bit more time. Just one more chance. Or perhaps a game of chance, then. Uh, anything, sir. Anything, please. All right. Heads, I win. Tails, you lose. Ah, better luck next time. Hold him down and saw his arms off. No, no boss. No, no. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Again, the female historian. Clarence was survived by one son, Willard Jr. McAllister. Having grown up in the traveling circus world, he was no stranger to the entertainment business. And by 1922, Junior McAllister had become a household name as one of the most prominent vaudeville performers in America. He penned a number of catchy, albeit vapid songs, including this 1927 gem, Bean Dinner. Bean dinner, bean dinner, give me a bean, someone better give me a bean. Bean dinner, bean dinner, give me a bean, someone better give me a bean. Kidney mean bug bean black eyed pea, it don't make no difference to me. Put it on a plate and give me a spoon, I'll eat it in the sun and I'll eat it by the moon. Well, bean dinner, bean dinner, give me a bean, someone better give me a bean. But by the 1930s, professional vaudeville had all but vanished as a profitable endeavor, and Junior settled down in Kentucky on a small farm with his wife, Loretta. <laughs> and they had a child, Junior McAllister Junior. They lived a happy life, but Junior's musical career wasn't totally behind him. In of 1941, Woody Guthrie was contracted by the government to write songs about the Columbia River. The world holds seven wonders, as travelers often tell. Some gardens and some towers, I guess you know them well. But the greatest wonder in Uncle Sam's fair land is the big Columbia River and the big Grand Coulee Dam. The success of those recordings led the U.S. government to commission a number of other projects similar in nature. 
An actor reading a letter. Dear Junior, in an effort to capture and preserve the natural beauty of this great nation of ours, we would like to commission you to write a series of songs about Mammoth Cave National Park. Please let us know, love the United States. He was given a portable recording unit and went to live in the park for one month to record these songs on site. But one day, it took a deadly turn. Now, an old guy from Kentucky. In Kentucky in 41, there was a whole lot of moonshiners operating up in them there hills, in the caves. In caves? Yep, especially out of Mammoth Cave National Park. But that wasn't no place for an outsider to be recording songs for the government. Junior's final recording can still be found today in the Library of Congress. Be warned, it's not for the faint of heart. I'm recording songs, sir, for the U.S. government. You got this place bugged, you son of a bitch! No, it's, it's not like that. Well, best saw his arms off. What? Oh, God! No! Oh, my God! Oh! As you can imagine, Junior Junior's perception of the entertainment industry had been a bit solid at this point. That historian. I mean, imagine both your father and grandfather had had their arms sawed off. Junior Junior chose to pursue his musical career down a more spiritual path. He settled in his hometown and became the pastor and choir director of the local congregation. Jesus is the only reason we don't kill each other in the street. Keeps us from getting hit by birds when we are walking to church. <laughs> Junior Junior's wife, Sarah Ollenfeffer. Well, we had 12 kids, one right after another. I loved all of them equals, except for Matilda. Yeah, not Matilda. She was a bitch. <laughs> Matilda was the black sheep of the family. Matilda, Blake's mother. There just wasn't nothing for me in Kentucky in those days. I just wasn't built for small town life. But she was very close to her grandmother and spent many an afternoon listening to the piano and hearing stories about Junior and Junior Junior. I'd go over there in the afternoon and Grams would open up this old photo book and tell me stories about Junior and Junior Junior. Well, this here Loretta, she was a bitch too. Poisoned my daughter's mind. At just 16 years old, Matilda got on a train and headed out west. In 1960, the Bozo Show premiered on television, and soon after, McDonald's adopted the Ronald McDonald character, and America just went a little clown crazy. Hey, Kim! <laughs> People were hiring clowns for children's parties, weddings, bar mitzvahs, Bat mitzvahs, funerals, college graduations, brisses, bachelorette parties, red ribbon cuttings at car dealerships, proposals, the signing over of a deed, pig roasts, track and field events, barn raisins, county fairs, prison visits. The, 
Westminster Dog Show, the christening of a yacht, the Bay of Pigs invasion, or just for a laugh after a long day of work. I began clowning just to pay my way through college, but then I met Edgar. Edgar Feinstein. It was the spring of 1971. PBS was brand new and I was in charge of finding new programming. One day I met my nephews Briss and they had hired a clown. <laughs> that was standard practice back then. And there was just something electric about Matilda. A mutual clown friend. After that day, they were pretty much inseparable. <laughs> And on September 4th, 1971, Matilda the Clown premiered on PBS. Matilda the Clown, she's not clowning around, but she is clowning around, Matilda the Clown. Again, Edgar Feinstein. Right from the get-go, we knew we had something really special with Matilda the Clown. The kids loved it, the parents loved it, it was a hit! Edgar and Matilda married the following spring. Matilda the Clown went on to run for 26 seasons before eventually being replaced by the Teletubbies in 1997. In 1978, they had their first child, Brooks, and in 1982, they welcomed Blake Thomas Feinstein, and the world of radio would never be the same. When we return, a young man's dream that could not be stopped, until it could. Bent Pedal Beer. Do you have a thirst you can't quench? Try Bent Pedal Beer. It'll cure what ails ya. Both Blake and Brooks were into clowning in one form or another when they were young, but Blake showed a keen interest. <laughs> Edgar, it's his first home! Way to go, son! As he grew, clowning became his favorite playtime activity. He wasn't interested in dinosaurs or G.I. Joes. He just wanted to put on the clown face, learn which paints to use, how to juggle. But it didn't stop there. By the time he was 14 years old, every spare minute was spent on his clowning. He was failing out of classes, didn't have any friends, his parents were growing concerned, but... The thing is, he was an amazing clown. Really world-class potential. We really believed in we him. We did. But we didn't know what to do. But then, on one day, a chance presented itself. Sony record executive Robert Waller. Well, after the death of Kurt Cobain in 1994, you see this huge shift in the music industry. Uh, you know, we're not looking for the next Pearl Jam or Alice in Chains anymore, we're looking for boy bands. Based on the success of groups like the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, Robert came up with a concept for a new kind of boy band. He named it Catalyst, but with a K and an apostrophe after the K for some reason. <laughs> Yeah, the idea was loosely based on kind of a, a mix between the village people and Devo, uh, Jackson 5, and misspelling words. Uh, essentially, we'd get five kids to dress up as different animals or cops or something, and they'd sing and dance. Was there any particular rhyme or reason to the thought process? Well, we, uh, we just kind of wanted to sell trading cards. And what an understatement that turned out to be. Matilda. We saw an ad in the paper. They were auditioning for this new boy band at the mall, and they were looking for performers who could sing, dance, and provide their own costume. Blake Thomas. Yeah, I remember like it, it was yesterday. Um, my mom drove me there, and 
we walk into the mall, um, there's this huge crowd and everybody's uh, dressed up in costume and, uh, you know, birds, lizards, ghosts. There's this really great jellyfish, I remember. Hilo helicopter parents screaming at their kids. You better fucking get this, Danny! Dad, leave me alone! We signed up on the list. Print your name, please. You're number 79. We went one by one. Number one, Danny B. Decker. Remember what I fucking said, Danny? Yes, Dad. Number two, Carlos Perez. Number seven, Andrew Morgan. Number 17. Number 22. 31. 39. 46. 55. 60. 79. Blake Feinstein. Oh, girl, oh, girl, I'm auditioning for you, girl! By the end of the day, Catalyst with a K and a perplexing apostrophe had been created. A duck, a bear, a baseball player, an astronaut, and a clown who now went by his middle name, Blake Thomas. And there was no going back. And now, a guy who wrote a comprehensive history about boy bands of the 90s. Lord knows why. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they wasted no time getting these kids in the studio. Check one, two, can you hear yourself, fellas? Yeah. yeah. All right, let's do this. Uh... Yeah. When they dropped that first single, Girl Get On My Pony, so like wildfire, Catalyst shot off like a freaking rocket ship. Girl Get On My Pony was everywhere in the fall of 1996. Get on my pony. Get on my pony. Mustang, boomerang, wild child, but I come back again, don't believe me? Just place your bet, go across the board, secretariat, I got a gate that's gonna take the take, better fall in line, cause I'm setting the pace, no odds, I can't overcome, get on girl, move riding into the sun, now I'm pony girl, I'm not horse and around, I wanna put you in my triple crown, my pony girl, take it once around, this carousel of love Get on my pony, girl 
triple crown My pony girl Taking what's around This carousel of love Stone Magazine music critic. Oh my God, that pony video? You've got a duck and a baseball player and a clown taking turns literally riding around on a pony? Where is the sex appeal in that? Everything about the success of Catalyst was utterly bewildering. But despite almost across-the-board criticism, their sales kept coming. Their self-titled first album produced five number one hits, and there was no sign of slowing down. Here's Matt. The guy who was the bear. It was getting exhausting. Press events. Toronto Times, is it true that you're all simultaneously dating Britney? Sound checks. Hey man, I still need more me in the monitors, Dan. Concerts, parties. Shots! 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 Airplanes back and forth from the studio. And the record company insisted we be in costume the whole time. It's true. Sony claimed that the band's mystique needed to be maintained in and out of the concert hall. That writer guy again. Yeah, um, so with that wild ride, it came to an end, as they all do. But after their successful sophomore record entitled Sophomore, things started to slow down. Their third record, Get Back on My Pony, Please Don't Forget We Exist, that was the beginning of the end. My pony girl, it's still tied up outside. It's tied up outside, girl. Don't forget I exist. <laughs> but even though Catalyst was no more, Sony had high hopes for two of the members to spark a duo career of their own the bear and the clown. Matt, aka the bear one. I just, I, I just felt so bad about what happened, you know? It was a perfect example of big record labels sucking whatever they can out of their artists and dumping them on the curb. A doctor of some kind. A face doctor or what have you. After nearly three straight years of never taking off his face paint, Blake had contracted a severe form of faceificitis. 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 Mm. It's pretty much how it sounds. Essentially, his face is suffocating. <laughs> After months of reconstructive face surgery, he was just a shadow of his former self. He'd grown a large red beard to cover the horrific nature of his face. After that, the label wasn't interested anymore. They dropped him and he just disappeared. And you had no contact with him whatsoever? No, no one did. He was just gone. No one heard from him again for 15 years. When we return, rock bottom and the rise to fame. This show brought to you by Sir Ben's, a pub and a patio with a view. Now back to the show. <laughs> 15 years pass. It's 2013, Queens, New York. I'm fiddling around on the radio dial one day, and this voice comes in singing. Some New Yorker. And I listen for a minute, and I'm trying to place it right, so I calls my sister. 
Yeah, what? I say, it's me. Turn on your radio to 7.70 a.m. And she says... What? You don't call me for weeks and now you want me to turn on the freaking radio? What for? Ah, just do it. Why you always gonna Screw be this you, way? <laughs> and she hung up on me. So I called my friend Billy. Right, do you think we could get to the point here? Yo, hey Billy, it's me. Turn on your radio. And he says... Uh, what for? Jesus, could we hurry this along a little? <laughs> well, I say, Billy, who does that sound like to you? And Billy says... Yeah, it sounds like that guy from Catalyst that disappeared. And Billy was right. It was. Pouring through the speakers was a DIY radio broadcast from an underground, unlicensed location from a man the world had long thought vanished. Well... Once we figured out that it was who it was, we just started calling all of our friends. Within hours, it had attracted thousands of listeners despite its small transmission radius. Arts columnist for The Village Voice, Janet Dickinson. So it's a Sunday night, and I get a call about this. I try and tune in, but I'm out of range, so I'm out the door, heading over to Queens. Next stop, 61st and Woodside. <laughs> I duck into the first bar I see, and the place is just still. No movement. Everyone's attention is on the radio. No one knew what to make of it. It was a mix of stream of consciousness, poetry, prose, with an occasional burst of song. Sometimes when I'm walking, I see the cats in the alley, and they're like, what's going down? And I say, sometimes you just gotta be that way, girl. Sometimes you gotta be that way, girl. Yeah, people were ecstatic, in shock. There were tears and laughter. Strangers were embracing one another. And this went on for 72 hours straight. Janet, I have to ask you about the article you published about this. Yeah, sure. You wrote, and I quote, <clears throat> Lake Thomas is a one-man beat movement, more impactful than Kerouac, Burroughs, Ginsburg, Berlinghetti, and Charlie Parker combined. I mean, don't you think that's a bit much? No. <laughs> that 72-hour performance will go down in history as one of the most important artistic events of the century. It wasn't, and it won't. But what it did do was catch the ear of famed talent scout Lorenzo Pancetta. That historian, you know the one. Lorenzo Pancetta was a mobster. He grew up in Jersey and came up through the ranks. He made his way up the ladder with a reputation of being ruthless. Now, an unnecessary reenactment of what we might construe that to mean. I love you, Frankie! Like my old brother! I swear, Lorenzo! I swear on my mother! I had nothing to do with this! Then explain how this gun of yours got into the back of Jimmy's oh, car! Oh, I don't know! I don't know! Lorenzo, please! I don't know! Oh, yeah? Well, maybe this'll jog your memories! Oh! Oh! God! Please! I don't know anything! Take him out back and saw his arms off! <laughs> no! You got it, boss! No! <laughs> Hey, uh, you want some gabagool? Yeah, that sounds nice. But Lorenzo's main passion was the music business. He had a keen ear for talent. Again, that historian. Without Lorenzo! 
Lorenzo, we wouldn't have artists like Ricky Brassola or the brooding crooner Bobby Colatello. Should you go walking in the park today, please let me know so that I can stay away. Time has done no favors, and I know I'd try to savor every moment that I could see your face. If you find me in my mind, I just close my eyes. In the dark, I see you clearer than in sunshine. All the lonely hours I have spent without you showering love upon me. And I don't know why. Why didn't I just let you have your way and spend every day just staring in your eyes? Facing you, embracing you, and all the faulty things I do in weakness. And why? Every day without you Down is in my heart Down is where you live When we're alone My friends, they call me But I don't answer anymore They think that I don't care Maybe we're better off for that I can't think of what to say The tears, they come evaporating Shadows rule the day. So I hide away, escaping in my solitude. Besides, it's true that what I say could be misconstrued. She's gone, and there is nothing I can do but suffer every moment and live inside my mind.
By 2013, the Pancetta and Codacino families were at odds, and a number of high-profile gangland murders made the whole operation vulnerable. An anonymous gangster. The feds were breathing down our necks at every turn out, and Lorenzo, the heat was turned up highest on him, right? He just needed a place to lay low for a little while without raising too much suspicion. And he found just that in Blake. Look at it like this. Lorenzo is legitimately a part of the music industry, and this raised from the dead former boy band clown could legitimately be perceived as an opportunity. It wasn't a terrible cover, all things considered. <laughs> So one day, Lorenzo comes by the shop and he lays out this plan and I thought, you know, we've come up with dumber ideas. Problem was, nobody knew where the guy was. So we started asking around. Do you remember that day, Blake? Yeah, there was a knock at the door, um, which was startling in itself because that never happened to me. So I answer and, well, there are these two guys. Did you know who Lorenzo was at the time? I knew the name. I mean, he was a pretty big in the music biz. What do you remember from that meeting? Well, and now some actors reenacting said meeting. How did you find me? We know people. Look, I won't take up too much of your time. My associate here, he brought Chianti. Hey, it's good. Look, I want to produce a live radio shows, and I want you to be in it. Where's your corkscrew? Oh, never mind, I found it. Look, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready. The people, the press, my hideous face and this beard. Look, what if I were to tell you that there's a place in the middle of nowhere, and half the people who live there already cover up their hideous faces with beards? Go on. And we could create a product that would be extremely under the radar. Virtually no one would know about it. But why on earth would you want to do that? What can I say? I just love your work. That's all there is to it. So what do you say? I say cool. Cheers. Eh, uh, cheers. cheers. After 15 years of silence, the former child star, accompanied by a mobster, bought a flight that will take them to a town called Duluth, but also to places they could never have imagined. When we return, the making of a show. Duluth Coffee Company. Making coffee in Duluth, now serving beer next door to the coffee. <laughs> From the moment they touched down in Minnesota, the wheels started turning quickly for Take It With You. Cast member Mary Fox. Yeah, it was pretty obvious that Take It With You was in bed with the mob. Why do you say that? Well, these two guys come to town, and with basically no plan in place, it's just a matter of weeks before they've got a venue, a sound engineer, a cast, appearances from the mayor. That kind of stuff just doesn't magically fall into place. So, what are you saying? Uh, well, everybody was really scared of Lorenzo. So how did the cast come together? Cast member Katie Helbaka. Uh, honestly, it was creepy as fuck. <laughs> We all got this hand-delivered invitation to a dinner party at the Gitchigami Club. Yeah, it was super dark in there, and there were all of these candles and a guy in a robe. Cast member Zachary Stouffer. So then the robe guy comes back and pours us all, like, a monstrous glass of wine. Yeah, like a fishbowl of wine. Yeah, so I'm sitting there with my tub of wine, and this other dude walks into the room wearing a black robe and a clown mask. And he... He just stands in front of us for, like, a minute. Gracie Anderson, another cast member. And he says something like, 
I have returned from the long silence. Yeah, yeah, and then he takes off the mask and says, behold. And we were all kind of like, behold what? I had no fucking clue what was going on. <laughs> it was pretty obvious he didn't get the reaction he was looking for. It got super awkward because he had to backtrack and then like introduce himself. Yeah, he said, it's me, Blake Thomas. But we still didn't know who he was. Yeah, so then he was like, you know, from Catalyst? And we were like, huh, what's that? I mean, eventually we figured it out, but at that point we were pretty wine drunk. Yeah, but all in all, you know, Blake Thomas throws a pretty awesome party. Did you ever think you'd be working together again? Again, Matt the Bear, really. I mean, I had kind of lost hope that he was still alive, to be honest. So when you got the call from Blake, what was going through your mind? Well, relief, of course. It's been 15 fucking years. But then, what is he even talking about? A radio show in Duluth? But nevertheless, Matt agreed to join the team, the historian. At this moment, Take It With You had their actors. Matt came on board as musical director. Things were looking up. But Lorenzo still thought they were missing a key component. Podcasting was a fairly new thing back in 2014, and Lorenzo, even with all of his contacts, was a little bit out of his element. So they contacted Andy Fry, the most popular independent podcast producer in the country. Andy Fry. I'm in my office, and I get a call out of the blue from Lorenzo Pancetta. No one wants to get a call out of the blue from Lorenzo Pancetta. And why is that? Well, because you're going to get asked to do something you don't want to do, and then you're going to have to do it. And why is that? Because the mafia, dummy. <laughs> 2013 was the beginning of an upward trend in podcasting, and Andy was one of the first breakthroughs with a hit called Fry Me a River. Some guy who writes a blog about podcasts. Fry Me a River was, like, extremely popular. Can you explain the format for me? Sure, it was almost kind of a Roman. Uh, what do you mean? Well, it was like a thumbs-up, thumbs-down call-in advice show, and either you were worth his time or you weren't, and everybody wanted to be worth Andy's time. Fry Me a River, February 17th, 2014. Go ahead, caller. What's your name? Uh, I'm Dave. First time caller, long time. Don't waste my time, Dave. What's your question? My wife wants to get a new car. Let but... me stop you right there, Dave. Ugh. Fry Me a River. <laughs> Go ahead. Andy, it's Gloria. What can I do for you, Gloria? My mother-in-law insisted I bring our family to her house for nope, Easter. Nope, sorry, Gloria. Ugh, fry me a river. <laughs> Who's on the line? Hi, my name's Becky. What's going on, Becky? Oh, well, my mother just passed away. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> it was her time. But the problem is that I handled and paid for all the funeral arrangements. Okay, how many siblings do you have, Becky? Five. Five? Oh, hell no. Those bitches gotta pay! Next! <laughs> Lorenzo saw the value in having Andy in Duluth, so he made him an offer he couldn't refuse. They bought me a boat! <laughs> Everything seemed to be falling in place for Take It With You as they prepared for their premiere. But then, an unexpected visitor changed the show and their lives forever. Mary Fox. You know, everything was actually going really well. Rehearsals were good. Everyone was getting along. Blake. Yeah, and it was great to be working with uh, Matt again, you know? It was, a, it was a 180 from the Catalyst days. We were really exploring this new sound. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
go, 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 get it. Get your hands up. <laughs> get your hands up. Katie and Zach. Uh, it was really coming together. Plus, the pay was great. Sure, it was mob money. Damn it, who gives a shit, am I right? High five! But just days before their April 15th premiere, Lorenzo threw them a curveball. Gracie. Lorenzo walks in with this squat, disheveled-looking guy in an ill-fitting tweed suit. He looked like a traveling salesman that was one missed sale away from jumping off a bridge. This was Richard. Yeah, a lot of people don't know, but he is a very, very real person. Another reenactment. Hey, everybody. As of today, we'll, we will be welcoming a new cast member. What are you talking about? Meet Richard Robiola Pancetta. Eh, yeah, but you can call me Rick. <laughs> Friendly back slap. <laughs> All right, I'll take a beer when you get a chance. Eh, you know what? Never mind. I got one here in my pocket. Awesome. All right, Lorenzo, can I talk to you for a minute? Blakey, I hope we don't have a problem here. No, but, but what are we supposed to do with this guy? You just make it work. But he's... Look, I... this is non-negotiable. Capiche? That anonymous mobster. Rick was becoming a uh, liability in New York. He was in and out of strip clubs, getting drunk, running his mouth off. It was just a matter of time before either he got himself killed or he started blabbing to the wrong guy, you know? We had to find a, get, a way to get him out of the city. With just days before the first show, the team was sent scrambling to figure out how to accommodate this new addition. Various cast members. Well, he wasn't an actor. In fact, he wouldn't even read off the script. Yeah, before Rick walked in the door, the entire concept of the show was different. And when Rick came along, we had to come up with a new framework that would accommodate this drunken mobster. So we set it in a bar. Yeah, we did. Best decision ever. <laughs> call it creativity, call it kismet, call it a miracle. But whatever you call it, it worked. The historian. The first three and a half years of the show were really what you hear is what you get. Everybody kept their heads down and got the job done. It was pretty happy, mostly drama-free. It was a great time for everyone. But there was that one incident. Fairly early on, they started having guest appearances from Blake's older brother, Brooks, a theoretical physicist. He would answer physics questions provided by the audience. He even had his own theme song. Ask Brooks. Ask him anything you want about stuff But keep in mind he has a doctorate in theoretical physics If that helps refine your topic, ask Brooks Ask Brooks! Uh, Brooks, alright, this, uh, this question comes from Tom in Duluth uh, Alright, so let's, let's say that uh, you're running on a treadmill, right? Okay, but let's say then it's a huge treadmill and I'm an airplane. Okay, so the treadmill's coming at me, right? I'm running on it, but I'm an airplane. Am I able to take off from the treadmill? Okay, so to answer this, we have to understand a little bit about how an airplane works. Now, what you really want to do if you want a detailed explanation is find the nearest aerospace engineer. After a couple of drinks, she will talk for six or seven hours about this. But let's, let's cut to the chase. Really, the, what you need to know is that as air is flowing past uh, an airplane wing, the airplane wing kind of works to direct or push that air down. And as a result, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So that pushes 
the wing up. So in essence, what you need is a flow of air that's fast enough over the wing and under the wing to make the airplane take off, to make the wing do its job. So if you're on a treadmill, <laughs> unfortunately, what matters is what's the speed of the airplane relative to the air around it? If the treadmill's going like this and the airplane is doing like this, this is radio so you can't see me, unfortunately, <laughs> but it just ain't gonna work. The Ask Brooks segments were incredibly popular and it started creating a big divide between the brothers. It came to a head at one rehearsal. Shut up, Brooks! You shut up! You shut up! You shut up! Shut it! This went shut on for up. some time, shut so we'll up. spare you shut that. Up. Shut it! Hey, I said, I said we'll spare you that! <laughs> you know what? Why don't you just go back to teaching physics? That's fine with me. This is kind of a burden, frankly. <laughs> fine. Get out. Great, Blake. You just fired the most popular part of the show. Shut it, Katie. But like I said, it was mostly drama-free and enjoyable for everyone. But before the fish show of their fourth season, everything suddenly went off the rails. Gracie. We get done with our fourth show of season four. Lorenzo is waiting for us in the wings, and we all head back into the dressing room. A reenactment of what happened in said dressing room. Mm, long time no see. Who the hell are you? Nice suit. Little Nikki Kodakino. Oh, man. Sup, Nikki? Hello, Richard. I think you know why we're here. Lorenzo, the Kodakino family runs the whole show now, and we just get a taste of everything. But I haven't received as much as a crumb from Take It With You. I got three words for you, Nikki. Suck my dick. Boys, saw his arms off. Yes, boss. Do your worst. With Lorenzo out of the picture, the organization lacked clear leadership. Gracie and Matt. So Blake kind of grabbed the reins and started driving recklessly. Yeah, like it got weird pretty quickly. What do you mean? Well, for instance, we, we did a show that was written entirely from the perspective of a lizard named Hichu, and half of it was a dream sequence. Here is an excerpt of said episode. Hichu! We must be swift! The owls are coming! Leave it to me! Psychiatrist. Blake was suffering from what we in the medical profession call going cuckoo. That's obviously not the term the medical professionals use, but it does quickly illustrate the point. Cast members. He had lost his shit. Completely! So when he rolled out the concept of Kesha, can you hear me? We basically thought it was the beginning of the end. I mean, 
How in the fuck did that actually work? Uh, Blake, can you tell me about the origins of Kesha Can You Hear Me? Absolutely. Well, I genuinely, unironically, love Kesha's voice. I cannot stress this enough. And I just wanted to write some songs for her in the hopes that she might sing them because I wanted to hear what would happen if she explored a different style. You thought that Kesha, an international superstar, would benefit from your input? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. I did. Okay. Matt. So, basically, Take It With You just became a Nashville-style songwriter's house. But specifically writing songs for Kesha in the hopes that she would come and do the show. And you went along with this? I mean, I just saw a guy's arm get sawed off. I, I thought it best just to keep my head down. And now, here's one of those songs. The piano dust on it, it's been silent for a spell The strings have rusted to the gates of hell My love has cuts on it, it's been healing for a while My mind as you want it, I've been trying to change the dial I still hear you in the songs I Like a scrap of paper with one good line that never realizes the rhyme. And the rough boys and cowboys of the American dream have all disappeared in a fountain of steam. My feet are blistered from your country mile. My cheeks have adopted an obligatory. I still hear you in the songs I write I still feel you in the darkest moments of the darkest night Everything that I've ever done right Feels like a scrap of paper with one good line that never realizes the rhyme I still can't clear you from the queue Keep coming round disguised as something new Imitations of impersonations of you I don't know what else to do I don't know what else to do I still hear you in the songs I Like a scrap of paper with one good line that never realizes.
But thanks to Buzz Frenzy, wink, <laughs> and their super simple automated marketing, the hashtag Kesha Can You Hear Me went viral. Andy. I mean, what can I say? Kesha Can You Hear Me was a pretty genius marketing campaign. Wink. <laughs> when you got the call, what was going through your mind? It was surreal. I don't know. I mean, I was on cloud nine. Wink. Hmm. Rule of three. Wink. <laughs> oh, that's four. Mary and Zach. It was a circus. I mean, it was fucking Kesha in Duluth on our show. Kesha! The Rolling Stone writer. With Kesha on board, it was just a matter of weeks before this thing was international. We're talking 100,000 seat stadiums. No one had any idea how much the world was craving live radio theater. They gained hundreds of millions of fans virtually overnight, but the rock and roll lifestyle was about to catch up with them. Andy and Katie. We had three separate jets that you could choose from depending on what you wanted to do. Uh, one was for sleeping, one was for orgies, one was for mini golf. We had a freaking cocaine fountain. Yeah. A cocaine fountain. Uh, can you explain what that is? Oh yeah, it's like a freaking fountain, but with cocaine. Things were starting to get out of hand. I mean, what do you expect? We had a freaking cocaine fountain. <laughs> but things were about to go from bad to worse. Blake. Well, we were playing Madison Square Garden, and I was in the middle of my pre-show ritual, uh, playing Miss Pac-Man while getting head and drinking from a beer helmet, and there's this knock at the door. Sorry, is this a bad time? Surely you can spare a moment for your old friend, Nicky Cortina. Oh, no. Where's my money, Blakey? What money? You didn't think you could just walk away without giving us a taste, did you? One million in cash. By Friday. That same old history. Now this yeah. is when everything really starts going off the rails. Well, just now it goes off the rails. When we return, the final chapter of the Take It With You saga. Bina's Central Coffee House in West Duluth. Coffee in West Duluth. <laughs> Take it with you and Kesha are traveling with this unwavering entourage that's at least a hundred people strong. So, in order to circumvent paying Nikki Corquino, Blake decides to fly everybody out west and build a compound in the middle of the Nevada desert. A compound? They built houses, roads, even a hospital. It was a fully functional city that existed completely off the grid and behind a giant protective wall. Sounds a bit like a cult, doesn't it? I mean, it was a bit cultish, sure. But everyone really seemed to enjoy their time there. A couple of cult members. It was really very pleasant. We had a greenhouse mm -hmm. and some chickens. Mm -hmm. And there was a cocaine fountain in the middle of town. Plus, Kesha would sing us to sleep every night over a loudspeaker. Mm. And how long were you there? It was a little over four years yes. until the standoff. Mm -hmm. Blake. Well, part of me knew that this was inevitable. I just wanted to buy us some time, you know. Did they give you any warning? No, 
Well, I was eating breakfast one morning and... Blake! Come quick! So I, I, I run over to the wall and I... I mean, I get there and I'm looking out at the entirety of East Coast organized crime. It was an army. Now you see what happens when you steal from Nicky Kodakino. <laughs> gunshots, gunshots. <laughs> that historian again. This standoff lasted an entire week. Both sides exchanging fire, but the mafia weren't able to penetrate the wall, and the residents of Tiwi Town weren't able to back off the mafia. Without that government intervention, this thing could have gone on indefinitely. Zachary. See, what a lot of people never knew was that the U.S. government was secretly helping us to win this battle. Why the secrecy? Well, you have to remember that Tiwi Town was essentially a cult that illegally lived in the desert compound and was heavily armed. The government didn't want to be seen as a supporter of that, but at the same time, we had an opportunity here to essentially wipe out all of organized crime in one fell swoop. So what happened? Well, the Defense Department was sending us blueprints for a top-secret device that would allow us to weaponize Kesha's voice. That's remarkable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That sure was. Katie. It was kind of like a laser beam, except it was a super high energy sound wave that could explode people's heads. What the hell? That guy's head just exploded. Breaking news, the standoff in the Nevada desert has ended this evening with all of the Mafia militia having had their heads exploded. More after the sports roundup with Sam. The entire country saw them as heroes. Matt. Yeah, it kind of got to our heads a little bit, I guess. And that's how you became an international vigilante group. Yeah, it was super fun while it lasted. Flying around the world with Kesha and exploding the heads of bad guys. The international crime-fighting organization known as Catalyst has struck again, exploding the heads of several members of a notorious Colombian drug cartel. What do you know, the historian? I mean, it's a romantic idea in a way, but obviously I can't just go around exploding the heads off of people. There were strict sanctions handed down by NATO and the UN, but Catalyst just kept exploding people's heads. Katie. What can I say, man? It's a rush. I mean, once you've done it, you don't really want to stop. And that, as they say, is that. Blake, Matt, Rick, Andy, Katie, Gracie, Mary, Zach, Scoozy, Mac, Nick, and Kesha were all shipped to a tropical island compound where they're serving out a 20-year sentence. It's actually pretty great. Jimmy Buffett is here. We have margarita Mondays. It's pretty. And as the last sliver of sunlight ripples over the tropical waters of this low-security island prison, the sound of steel drums and the sweet smells of coconut and cane sugar fill the air. I caught up with Blake one last time. Looking back at your career, do you have any regrets? Only that I wish I could have done it all sooner. Wait, done what sooner? Like, your whole life? <laughs> you know it, baby. No, I'm, I'm still confused, like... You wish you could have been born in a different era. No, 
it'll make sense to you someday, my man. Just, just keep it fresh. Peace. It still doesn't make sense, and I know it never will. Thank you for joining us for Take It With You Behind the Mic. in the summer, one early fall, just trying to find my little all in all, now she's gone, I don't worry, I'm sitting on top of the world, thank you so much for listening, until next time, Take It With You is Mary Fox, Andy Fry, Ryan Nelson, Matt Reilly, Zachary Stouffer, Gracie Anderson, Nicholas Pascuzzi, Katie Helbaca, and myself. Blake Thomas. Uh, our sound engineer is Nick Gosen, and our stage manager is Mackenzie McCollum, uh, with special appearances this time by Brooks Thomas, Emily Larson, and Don Ness. This episode was written by me, Blake Thomas, with editing and story assistance from Mary Fox, Mackenzie McCollum, and Phil Jens. The music was written by myself and Matt really, And the, the whole show was edited, mixed, and mastered by uh, Nick Gosen and, and myself. Uh, the show was performed in the Underground Theater here in Duluth, Minnesota. Our logo was designed by the one and only, the wickedly talented Sarah Luke. Our specialty Foley items are often made by Matt Gildner. Thank you to our 2017 uh, Season 4 sponsors, Bent Paddle Brewing Company, Duluth Coffee Company, Beaner's Central Concert Coffee House, Buzz Frenzy, Sir Benedict's Tavern on the Lake, and, and the Duluth Playhouse. Find Take It With You on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and online at takeitwithyou.org where you can listen to all available podcasts. Thank you so much for being a part of this, and we'll see you next time. I'm sitting on top of the world.